recording. All right, I'm ready when you are. All right, welcome everybody to our quarterly meeting of the Audit, Audit and Compliance Committee. I think we have a special guest who's going to be with us for some time to come is Marilyn Boston, our new VP of Audit and Compliance. I'm sorry, Compliance and Internal Audit, right? Yes. I got the title right. Well, we're so happy to have you, Marilyn, and welcome to this first of many of these meetings. And uh, so happy to have you. I Have you had a chance to meet with uh, some of the other folks? Um, not yet. Not yet. All right, well, we'll do quick introductions. I am Mark Friedman, the chair. I've had a couple of aborted meetings with Marilyn, but we're gonna meet, I think on Friday. So I'm yes. looking forward to that and really excited to have you. Uh, take it away, Taft. Uh, I'm Taft Bouquet. I'm a gastroenterologist here. Uh, I'm currently the board president uh, and this is my fourth year here um, Wonderful. Uh, as a trustee uh, and my 15th year here in the system. Great, Splend. Hi, hi, hi Marilyn, I'm Splend, Splendorio. Uh, I'm one of the trustees. Hi. And Louisa. Hi, uh, Marilyn, Louisa Blue. Uh, I'll be ending my term on the board in December. So anyway, I, I won't be able to work with you. I'm currently the chair of the HR committee for the board. Wonderful, nice meeting you. And I assume you know all the staff members who are here. I know Ahmad and I know Ijaz. And of course, Akemi and um, James, yes. All right, good. Well, we're, we're set to Jet, but without Jet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, first up is any public comment? Seeing no public, I assume there isn't any, right? There is none, but I would love to still take role if that's okay. I was just gonna get to that. <laughs> Sorry to jump in. I'm again. just reversing it a little bit just to speed things along. All right, please take the roll call. Trying to keep me on my toes there. No. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Chapman is absent, but I will follow up with her. Trustee Friedman. Present. Trustee Splendorio. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. All right. So we need that quorum for first up is the. Uh, consent agenda consisting of the minutes of March and June meetings. Do we I'll have move a approval. I'll move approval. Second. Moved and second and all in favor signify by saying aye. 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 I think you have to yeah I think you have to have a roll call vote. You need a roll call? Yes. Yeah with the online meetings we have to do the the roll call. So uh trustee bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. All right, way to go team. That is the end of the consent agenda. We move on to discussion, a cybersecurity update with Ijaz Ali, our Chief Information Security Officer. Please take it away. All right, uh, good, good evening, uh, trustees. Uh, is someone gonna be sharing the screen or should I share my screen? You, you can share. Yeah. Okay, I will, I will share my screen. Let me put this in presentation mode and then I will share. Oops. Oh, that did not work. Oh, that did not work. What happened? 
right, I am going to share it like this. All right, um, can everyone see my screen? Yes. Yes. All right, uh, let's bring this back to the top. All right, uh, so this is the cybersecurity update for um, Q4 fiscal year 2022, which is April, May, and June. Uh, so we're still um, a little bit behind on security configuration, and um, we're actually uh, increasing that with um, upgrading our Win7 to Win10. Uh, so that project was actually finished in July. So with the next update, you'll see uh, the secure configuration score going up. And we're also adding uh, encryption to all the workstations that are located at all the various facilities. And um, new assets uh, that are being deployed uh, go through a very rigorous uh, cybersecurity assessment before they're attached to our network. So we're um, assuming limited risk when we bring these devices in. Uh, two items in which we still need to do is to turn off copy and paste from Citrix desktop. And um, we got the uh, purchase orders for um, to do this. So um, it's just a matter of uh, resources on the technical side. And then um, we're enforcing encryption on removable media. Uh, in terms of our Cisco email metrics, um, the, the second quarter of the year, so April, May, and June, is uh, pretty much a quiet period when it comes to cybersecurity attacks. They usually ramp up during uh, summer and then also during winter to take advantage of like Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. Right, so that's why uh, what you see here is a decrease in the amount of threat emails. Uh, it's mainly because these um, hackers are, I guess, taking time off uh, during during this time. Right. Hackers, then, uh, need hackers need vacation too. Yeah, hackers need vacations too. <laughs> um, so in terms of incident response, um, so we had about uh, 70, uh, in which uh, we had to take um, action on. And uh, these 70 incidents were just um, users um, triggering malware by either um, going online um, to, a, uh, to a site and probably clicking a link or even um, clicking a link in an email where, um, where a virus or some sort was triggered but uh, before it actually became successful, our security tool, CrowdStrike, was able to remove it uh, without the end user even knowing that they did um, anything, um, anything wrong. So our tools work in the back end, um, and so we don't, we, we don't disrupt um, any, any flow or any action. Uh, we did have the one critical incident um, in which our general counsel uh, did uh, report to you guys back in back in May. And uh, besides that incident, uh, no other um, compromised accounts or uh, infections or any data compromised. 
Now, the uh, threats to the uh, threats blocked by the security tools. So uh, during the quarter, we had um, 175 attempts of exfiltration. Now, uh, what this is, is um, our users either trying to get onto uh, Dropbox or some sort of personal storage, which is blocked by our uh, policy. So um, it sees that as exfiltration. So if somebody's trying to log into their Gmail or their Yahoo or Dropbox or Box, um, this is, that's considered um, exfiltration. Uh, we had 26 ransomware attacks that were uh, blocked uh, by uh, both ExtraHop, which is our network detection tool, and CrowdStrike, which is our endpoint detection tool. Uh, there were 219 attempts to exploit uh, vulnerabilities within our network. Uh, those were all blocked by uh, ExtraHop and CrowdStrike. And then we had about 250 reconnaissance attempts. Now, what these are, are these are um, users out, um, those outside the organization trying to scan our environment and look for um, look for uh, vulnerabilities, so so they can exploit. Uh, those were those were all blocked by ExtraHop. All right. And then um, the next slide. So um, we still have quite a few vulnerabilities. Um, the vast majority of them being on our desktop side. Uh, we actually just did um, our first round of desktop patching this this month. So uh, these numbers, um, although old, will be um, significantly lower uh, for the next report. Uh, I believe we're actually under a million, um, which is um, really good for this um, organization, especially with how uh, short-term or cybersecurity program has been. And uh, with our encryption, so as I mentioned earlier, our, our workstations um, are not encrypted, but they are. So we have over 50% of these, of the workstations. Um, well, yeah, about 50% of the workstations that are not currently uh, encrypted and about 40% uh, of the laptops that do have encryption but need to be upgraded from McAfee to BitLocker. Uh, BitLocker is the new standard, um, McAfee is, is old. So they're protected, but just not with our new AHS standard. And with the Windows 7 devices, um, so you'll see here that the target completion date was 722. Uh, we did hit that. So um, we, we do have uh, some Windows 7 devices, but they all have an um, uh, exception plan. And uh, James, I see your hand up. Thank you, Jaz. And this may be a overly simplistic question, but two slides ago, you talked about the vulnerabilities we had, and I just don't know that, well, I don't understand what that means. Others may need some clarification around when you say we have our total, total vulnerabilities. Yeah, so um, Microsoft um, is, is a very vulnerable operating system. 
So uh, once a month, uh, they they come out uh, with patches. They call it Patch Tuesday, which is the uh, second Sunday of every single month. And then we also have um, applications in which we use that do have vulnerabilities like Java. Uh, Java is, um, with, with the exception of Microsoft, Java is our most vulnerable application. Those do have um, vulnerabilities that also come out um, shortly after an update is released. So that's, um, that's where the vast majority, I would say about 80% of our vulnerabilities lie, and that's in um, the Microsoft operating system and Java. So we do have a plan um, to remove Java. Um, I think one of the um, only applications that need it is uh, EPSI, which is a finance um, application, right? So um, they're on an old version and so they, uh, they have Java. So I think once we can upgrade uh, EPSI, we'll be able to remove the Java vulnerabilities because there's no other application um, that we know of currently that relies on Java. And, um, you know, as, as we're, improving our processes around desktop patching, um, you know, that's where um, the 92% of vulnerabilities come from are, come, are mainly on the uh, Microsoft OS on the Windows 10. All right, uh, so that is it. Does anyone have any questions? I have a quick question, Ijaz. Um, so when the new updates come out, for instance, for like Microsoft, is it better to wait, you know, for a period of time before, you know, we update our systems to the newer versions because of those vulnerabilities? Yes, so uh, what we do is we wait for Epic uh, to test and to release uh, their patches. So, um, on Patch Tuesday, uh, the following day um, is when Epic starts to test. And if there is an issue, um, Epic releases um, a note uh, to the organization saying, you know, please don't update um, this particular vulnerability. Um, you know, we'll, we'll work on a fix. And it usually takes um, Epic about two weeks so with that, um, we always patch a month behind. So okay. that gives Epic enough time to test their patches, uh, come out with a fix. So uh, we're not causing any problems with our um, electronic medical record. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions? Thank you very much. Now we move on to progress on the fiscal year 23 annual audit and compliance work plan with the tag team of Marilyn and Akemi. Okay, so let me um, share my screen.
So can everybody see it? Yes, can you make it a little bit larger? Holy <laughs> um, We can see it, but we can't read it. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, because there's a lot of information, but let me see if I can, if I can make it bigger. I have to get out of um, share mode. Just a second. See if this will work. Um, one second. Okay. Control plus usually will enlarge it. Yeah, so second and show. Okay, so let me share my screen. Hopefully this is larger. So is that big enough? It's not much different. <laughs> um, maybe if I um, hey, Kimmy, I'll come over to your office. Look like you're at SSC. Uh, I'll help. I'll help with that. Uh, IT support is on the way. <laughs> <laughs> I put it at 130, uh, 130. So let me, let me stop sharing. You, you want to start talking about it until he gets yeah, there? So there Please. are 14 um, areas that. All right. <laughs> Who is that masked man? I know it's it's a mod, so keep going. Keep going. I can tell by the necktie. <laughs> keep going. Really? Yeah. Two hundred. Yeah. Two. Is that better, folks? Well, I have to put it on. Just to share again. Sure. We can't oh, see. Okay. It. Yeah. Let's unshare with them. Yeah. So let's see. Um, two. Is that better? No, the same. So hold control, <laughs> if you don't mind, just. Holy cow! Hey, yeah. Yes. <laughs> is that good? Yes, it is. Yes. It is also in your packet, trustees, so you can look at it in Board Vantage while she's going through it. If that helps. Yeah. Thank you, Rana. That's what I'm doing. So can you can you see it? Yes. Good to yeah, go. we're good to go. So there are um, there are 14 areas that we um, put on the audit <clears throat> um, plan, and um, this is just kind of the big picture. But the next slide actually shows. Um, the um, progress that we have. But if you notice here, um, the risk levels, and it's based on, you know, part of it is based on the audit source. Like here, the 340B um, program, um, reason why it's high, because we were audited by HERSHA, which is the federal, and the DHCS, which is the state 
And so um, these are actually, we, we still um, do audits uh, every quarter. And then at this um, compliance department, the reason why it's high is because it has to do with um, charge capture and um, uh, to assess that and um, and the record of patient charges. So we've actually done a prior one, but being that this is um, for system-wide and it's something that uh, Mark Frasky has been uh, pretty, um, what's it, supportive of this uh, because we've had some um, gaps. And so actually we did complete that audit, but we are going to re-audit down the road. And then, so this one actually um, came from uh, Lorna and uh, Mario Harding. And <clears throat> It's about um, manually um, changing employee's time card. And so we are, um, actually there's, um, Cronus has been updated, so we are not gonna uh, do that review until um, later in the fiscal year. And then this one though, um, Mark Amy brought this up as a um, high level and to assess security protected or PHI of non um, EMR systems. So this is something that he does, <laughs> you know, he probably has already um, been doing some work on this, but compliance really needs his assistance to, to do this. And so as we go down the list, um, you notice that the OIG work plan. So we did go through the, um, the OIG work plan and actually looked at what applies to um, AHS because they have like hundreds that are listed on it. So we took about the, um, to, to determine the um, POS and there's a place of service accuracy for part B. Um, and then this one is the compliance department. And because we've had um, concerns from, uh, you know, revenue cycle to do a, um, a review of the denials. And, um, and then here is the, again, the OIG work plan and to determine uh, inpatient claims for short, uh, short length of stay and whether it was incorrectly billed. Um, and then um, Kim Miranda uh, brought this to, um, to the compliance team um, to ensure that each credit balances are within uh, governmental uh, rules. And then the other one here came from Tangerine. It's um, about California um, re-implementing the Medicare eligibility reviews. <clears throat> then we can go down the list. You have here the OIG work plan again and to assess the reasonable efforts to collect um, deductibles and coinsurance. And then the other one here from Kim Miranda regarding the review of internal controls relating to physician payments. And then again, the OIGA work plan to assess evaluation management uh, service and med Medicare requirements. And that's something that's also included in our um, 
regular audit and education for the uh, professional component. <clears throat> and then the last one here is the compliance um, department and it's to assess clinical doc documentation, uh, supports the codes on the claim. And so this is actually um, an area that has been somewhat lacking. So let me see if I'm going to the next page. So can you see that next page or? Yeah, and, and we have it in the uh, board advantage where it's pretty easy to see. Okay. Yeah, so that's that, good. All right. So this is the same um, that I, I showed you, but this is in a different way that it shows the, where, how we're doing so far. And um, so the, the kind of bright blue is the, um, where, how far we have, you know, taken like on the 340B. And so down here is the um, light blue is when we will start doing those reviews. Now, the one that here, you notice these two, because this was brought up by um, Revenue Cycle and they wanted us to add those. So we added these two into the audit plan. And um, actually the one for the um, FY modifier audit has already started. And what that is is that for computed radiology services, you are to apply the FY modifier, so Medicare rule. And this goes back to 2018. So that review is from 2018 to current. And uh, we already checked the epic logic for that. Um, however, um, even though um, Alameda Hospital has this correct, we are checking Highland as well as um, uh, San Leandro Hospital to ensure that they have that. And um, because there's a, uh, a pay reduction for um, this uh, computed radiology and that identifies that this was done, uh, the search was done on the computed uh, radiology. <clears throat> Any questions on that? This is a really helpful chart and uh, I appreciate it. And I'm really happy to see that nothing is in the red. Yeah, so far. And um, because the other one that was added has to do with accuracy. Um, and let's see, um, accuracy of, um, I want to modify. Yeah, it should be this one. It's a discharge from ED. Um, so we are checking that um, when it, um, ED is outpatient. And so when they go through the outpatient, how did that go through the, like if they had a surgery and was discharged on the inpatient. So we are, we've been already reviewing um, whether there was a med order and so on to make sure that the billing is correct. 
and then give that um, feedback to revenue cycle. So those are the two that were added. Everything else is um, based on the previous slide that I showed you. Any questions before I go on? Okay. So uh, the next one, um, like I mentioned, the 340B audit. So in the fourth quarter, actually, this uh, time we did a great job. And so if you see the error rate, it's pretty, um, you know, low. So, um, but these areas, we already uh, reached out to um, the hospital billing site um, to correct, you know, those like the first one here for Medicare commercial, um, it was six errors. Um, and then the next one for Medi-Cal and managed care, it was 24. But you notice how the number of items here, that's a pretty good um, kind of error rate that they had. And then when you go to the ambulatory and freestanding clinics, actually they had no errors. So that is great. And we will keep doing these reviews on a quarterly basis. And you know, the reason, like I stated before, is because we've been audited on a regular basis by the federal and state. So we want to make sure that we are still in compliance. Congratulations to the team on doing such a terrific job. Yeah. Well, it and um team includes revenue cycle. Um, they've really done a good job as well as pharmacy. So it's it's a really team effort. Um, so the next one I just wanted to- Kiwi, can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, on the, do you know like what that error is? It is what's causing that error? Cause we should have everything set up so that we shouldn't have any errors really. So I was just right. wondering, is it because of payer changes or something? Or do you know, well, like, is there a root cause? It has What's to do that? with the modifier on it. So um, we we double check because I don't know what it is that um, the modifier was missing on a couple of claims. And so we we reached out to um, HB to identify why it wasn't and you know to to correct that. And that's something that um, the compliance um, team has been working with them to make sure that this does not happen again, because it should be zero. Yeah, um, it should be zero. Yeah. It should be zero. And so, you know, the we've gone over it um, with HB, and that's why we are doing quarterly basis, uh, because next time around, we hope to get it to zero on, on both of these. But we don't know out of this many, why isn't that a couple of them uh, were have errors when it shouldn't out of that whole number of items that we did. Um, so <clears throat> that's one of the things that we are um, actually reviewing with HB. And that's why we have a uh, three-bird B steering committee to go over this and what um, the HB and the PB side, what are they doing to ensure that we don't have these errors again? So that is reported to them and wow, what happened. And it's so huge it improvement, but yeah, you're right. It shouldn't, we, we really should have a program where we won't miss yeah, it. And I can, you know, um, in the steering committee, we do show from the increments how it is improved. 
So we've done a really good job. And so really want to give kudos to you know, everybody um, because it's, it's not just pharmacy, but RemuCycle has really done a great job. And, you know, ensuring that like the, um, uh, the UD modifier is correct on a certain type of pairs, the um, AAC is appropriate based on that, that's a medical rule and so on. So that is something that we, um, you know, monitor pretty closely with Remedy Cycles Assistance. <laughs> Any questions? No, and so I, I, I'm wondering, and it's a small error rate, so I don't know if we have to get it to zero or do you still have to well, that's uh, what, audit that's 100%? That is our plan to get it zero. I like to see it, so it's it's constant. Um, and, you know, it's just, um, it's just something that um, we have a plant person who is working with the HB side as to um, correcting it and trying to find out why it happens when you have most of the claims that are correct and why on some of them, and it might be how the pair was. And so it could be changed. So that could be part of it um, because we've had that where um, only um, on certain ones um, based on the pair, do you put the UD modifier and compare to the, um, uh, the AAC? So it's based on the pair and how it might've gone to, to the primary to the secondary. Um, so, but essentially we have looked at the, how that logic was set up and sometimes you know, that could be what the, um, the error was causing that error rate. But when we looked at when we started and how we've done it, uh, we've done uh, really, really well. And so it's, it's great. And I- I'm sure it's a huge say. time for you to, to still have to audit 100% of the claims mm -hmm. too. So um, it's a massive time. <laughs> yeah, well, Cycle has done really, um, I want to say, uh, really done a good job because we rely on them to make sure that the claims go out um, correctly. Um, Kim, I was going to just add that one of the things we can certainly do since it's such a, a small error rate and not a lot of claims is we can work with them to pull these specific ones where the errors are and identify exactly, you know, what caused them to fall out and then get that correction in. That would be great. Yeah. Um, oops. Close this. Um, Make sure I know. Okay. Um, so like I um, mentioned about the charge capture and reconciliation audit, um, this was completed. And so I just wanted to show um, based on the findings um, the percentage of the, um, the accuracy of it. And so all of this is based on the policy that we have um, that's system-wide. 
And so like the person here indicates the you know, departments who receive training to support the policy. So one of the things I just wanna be mindful of is this is through a survey. So we sent the survey out um, system-wide to the um, management leaders. And so based on the responses, it was 28%. And one of the things that um, the feedback that came in that they would um, support this policy, but they needed more training because they some people were not aware of the policy and they didn't know um, enough to follow it, what the tools that were available. And so the next one here is entering charges within three days. And this three days is in the policy. So right now um, at the time is 14%. And then the next one here is performing daily charge reconciliations. And that was 49%. And then um, departments need to have a revenue designee and that's on the policy. And that person's responsible to um, monitor based on what's in Epic and that there is a charge um, capture for all the services and there's a reconciliation on a um, daily um, basis, and then to have controls, metrics um, in place to support the charge um, capture and reconciliation. So in this whole picture here, um, the person who that's really been supporting this with revenue cycle is actually Mark Brasky. And so he already um, sent out his expectation to make sure there is a revenue um, does it mean that people are, you know, um, that's actually the first step, but then going through um, based on, um, we gave uh, revenue integrity, who is the um, high, medium, low, and you want to start symptomatically um, through um, working with each of those department units. And um, so revenue cycle, um, excuse me, revenue integrity is getting resources to improve these, um, these percentage uh, rates. And so um, essentially, like I say here, this is kind of a overall what revenue integrity has been um, doing is to identify all these areas so there can be um, uh, improvements and they do have a work project already in place and so they can um, strengthen all these areas. So down the road, um, we will um, do another review. And these reviews are in conjunction with um, uh, revenue integrity. So they, um, we do work together as to uh, what they need in order to improve these areas. So it's not just compliance, um, doing it, um, kind of on our own. Um, so any questions about this? Okay, I will move on. So I wanted to just point out about some of the audits that we do, that they are reoccurring reviews. So um, 
even though, for example, here at 340B reviews, it's done on a quarterly basis and it'll be on a quarterly basis for, you know, for probably um, for years. And it's because of that, we do get um, audited on a fairly um, consistent basis. And so we just want to ensure that we're not going to be in a, um, where we would have to pay money back. And so that's why we consistently um, do these reviews. Now, the other here is the official fee audits. And even though it's bi-weekly, actually, we, um, sometimes it could be weekly. It depends on the, the uh, specialty and the size because the, the, um, the sample size is based on how many providers and the volume of the counters and the dollar amount that we're talking about. So if it's you know large um, specialty, it could be anywhere from 100 to 200 sample size um, to get a good picture of where um, their accuracy rate is and as far as the education that's needed. Um, and then here we do monthly exclusion screening. So that is a review that's done and it's done monthly. And so to explain um, exclusion screening, um, any healthcare organization should be um, doing a, um, a check regarding our um, whole workforce. And it's because <clears throat> it, when an employee shows up um, on the exclusion screening, we cannot keep them as an employee because we are essentially receiving funds, uh, funding from you know, state and federal. So the type of exclusion screening we do um, is with that we do not just the OIG, but other federal um, uh, with its exclusion um, platforms that are used as well as all states. And in order to do that, we use um, outside service that actually has a platform. So we collect all this information from the different um, uh, departments. And then we run it through this, um, what's called verify comply. And so actually when we run it, it will know who we did prior compared to new ones. And the exclusion screening also includes contractors, any vendors that we have. So it's not just um, when I say employees. So any questions about that exclusion screening? Okay, so the next one is open payments. And so CMS um, requires um, any drug companies, um, other vendors that work with um, uh, healthcare providers. So it's physicians and actually they um, included not that long ago, uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants. So we um, do these to uh, monitor what are the, um, these providers receiving? And so there is categories 
that um, CMS, you know, indicates and you can actually kind of uh, run for see kind of where those trends are. And prior, when we had the general counsel, um, not a mod, but the mic before, um, we did some education in the uh, different hospitals and system wide because a couple of providers came up. And so we worked with uh, Mike, the general counsel, uh, when this occurred. And of course, if it comes up again, we will be working with Ahmad and the legal team on this. Now, the other here is Break the Glass. And if you're not aware of Break the Glass, Epic has a, um, a way to identify uh, anybody who went into a um, patient chart but was not part of the treatment team. And so we do that on a quarterly basis. Um, and we do not do um, the whole universe because of thousand. Because each time a person goes in, they're gonna have to break the glass. So we do a certain, um, uh, what do you call, a sample size of it. Now, if a person comes in and says, well, they had concern with somebody going into the, um, the chart, then we will actually do a specific um, report to identify um, what they went into. And um, because sometimes the person can go and break the glass, but they didn't go into the record actually, they, they actually backed out because they hit it, but that will pop up as well. So if you were to uh, run a report, it will tell you whether the person actually went into the record actually came out of the, um, the record when they hit the break the glass. Now, the other thing I just want to mention about break the glass is that we have excluded some people from it. Like for example, HIM. Uh, the coders there have to look at each patient in order to code it. So we have exempt them because of their work that they do. So we only do it based on the work that um, is done and it has to be assessed by the compliance team. So we do review the, uh, the need and why. Any questions on this? The next one, um, I just wanted to go over about the professional fee reviews. And right now, um, for this quarter, actually, we we did a review with the dental surgery and then hematology oncology. This is not though the oncology surgery; it's it's different. And then the orthopedics, and then infectious disease. And this one, the infectious disease, actually is pretty small, but it was requested by uh, Dr. Tony so we put it on that list. So the one thing before I talk about the, um, how these uh, accuracy uh, were and what the findings are, I wanted to just kind of go over again about this audit and education because it's not a one-time uh, review, it's an ongoing cycle. So once we do a, a review, we want to know um, what is the accuracy rate? How well are they doing? 
and what are the findings so that we can actually um, create an, um, an education. And so the education is actually, um, we do work with uh, the HIM coders. Uh, there is one for Prothe. And then we also, um, with that the development, we do work with especially chairs because we want to make sure that they, they know what we're going to present and anything that they feel is important to include. Um, so like it says, you know, sustainability, we do this to minimize the risks, you know, from, you know, being audited by Medicare or so. And it also, we want to maintain that um, compliance rate. Um, so of course, in order to reach that, we have to continually do um, these reviews and to educate. And we want to get to, um, to a 5% uh, error rate that can be maintained, then we do not have to do these reviews as frequently. Um, so any um, questions about this? Uh, Kimmy, this is Taft McKinnon. How were those four service lines chosen for audit? Excuse me, sorry. How were those four service lines chosen for the audit? Uh, Hemonc, ID, Ortho? Um, so it was based on um, the, um, we looked at the uh, volume of encounters and how many providers and the dollar amounts. And so, and it's also when we talk to, um, part of it too, is that we talk to uh, like um, Dr. Tornabeni as to what she would like as far as the specialties as well. And so we've done it, um, you know, partly based on her recommendations, but essentially um, we, we go through um, these, um, what do you call these specialties based on what I, I mentioned, the uh, volume of um, encounters and the number of the providers and the dollar amounts. Yeah, I guess I, so it sounds like I think these were under recommendation of the CMO because mm -hmm. aren't these the highest volume practices? Like, right. I, so I, I actually think all services would benefit from. from well, we are doing this. all of them. Okay, so right now this, based on this, um, this is what we completed so far. The next one uh, that we have in the queue is um, actually oncology. Um, it's, it's actually oncology surgery. So uh, we are going through all the different specialties. Um, we've done most of the clinics um, already and we did uh, meet with like um, uh, Dr. Samaki for the pediatrics and so on. So we've already went through all those different um, kind of internal medicine, OBGYN, um, but now we are, um, and the reason we did that first because Dr. Tonabini asked us to do it uh, first and then go through the different specialties. And so that's why that, the way that we're doing it is based on the recommendations. And Dr. Besh too. Any questions about that? Okay, so like I said, dental surgery. 
So you see the accuracy rate is 46%. And it had to do with dental code discrepancies. So there are some rules with dental codes and, and um, that's where a lot of education has to occur. And that's something that, um, you know, as far as the, we use an outside vendor who has um, uh, with experience in using dental codes and also um, our manager of um, professionally coders does have someone who knows the dental codes really well. And so that is putting together um, education for the, um, the dentists on this. So um, right now, we are still putting together that education, but is there any questions? Okay, so the next one is um, hematology oncology, and this is for inpatient at Highland. So um, as you see here, um, we kind of split it out by diagnosis codes, CPD codes, which are the, the procedures. And then the ENM, which is evaluation management, and that's the visits that the, the um, physicians um, do. And then we put a, a blended accuracy rate. Now, the one thing about hematology and ecology is that when they select an evaluation management, they're actually, most of them are undercoded. So that is actually, um, from you know, Kim, Kim's kind of thinking, oh my gosh, we there's opportunities here to improve that revenue. Um, so that is um, another education point, and that you know they really are picking the lower um, evaluation managed codes, but in the documentation, actually the patients, um, what's it? Um, assessment in the plan actually supports a higher level of service. Now, the other area though, is the teaching physician um, attestation. So this has happened in some other areas and we have, um, through our education has, we have mentioned this, that um, also to residents to remind attendees that a teaching physician attestation is required. And there is templates in there and they can select and it will um, kind of uh, put it on that there's an attestation, but of course, any um, changes they need to document it. And then also when it comes to diagnoses, there are missing and conflicting diagnoses. And I understand that because there are, um, it's a pretty long digit and depending on where the um, status of the patient, the last digit can be um, a different, could be AD, so on. So it's, you know, that's why there's some uh, conflicting diagnosis codes and then there's some that are missing and that, that can also support um, these services. And please stop me if you have any questions. So the other one is for outpatient. And so diagnosis codes is better, CP codes for procedure 100%. And then you, we have here the evaluation management codes. 
And um, again, the documentation supports a higher level of services. So essentially the positions in the specialty are under coding. And then um, here where I say um, EM change to telephone counter, this is actually telemedicine. And so telemedicine, you have to have not just audio, but video. And actually this is just telephone encounter. The physician talked on the phone with the patient. So it is actually not a, a video audio um, telemedicine um, encounter. And this only happened a couple of times, but this is um, an education part with the, um, the physicians. And again, here we have the teaching physician at the station that's missing. And again, please stop me if you have any questions. The next one is orthopedic inpatient at Highline. So if you see the um, accuracy rate diagnosis is 74%, the procedure is 62%, uh, the evaluation man is 73%. And, you know, here, um, one of the things that came out is that the documentation supports um, additional other procedures. So there is missing um, kind of revenue opportunities there. And that's the education part. Um, because when it comes to orthopedics, there are different types of wounds. Um, and so, um, and different, um, what do you call, a, a procedure that are done in patients. So there are multiple um, surgical codes that can be used. And so when I talk about orthopedics, you know, from my viewpoint, this is my opinion, really should have um, a dedicated coder because you could be missing opportunities. Um, and then there were discrepancies with uh, wound coding rules. Um, so, you know, um, for example, um, debridement. So just, you know, um, using saline to, um, to wash a wound doesn't mean that you can use debridement code on it. And the other is by the depth and the, um, the length of the, the wound. So, and there's other parts of adding different areas if there's a wound in um, the same area. So there are some um, coding rules and that's part of the education. And then there's surgical package rules that are not followed. And this has to do with the post-op um, visits, and especially when it comes to discharge. We saw um, several times that discharge um, was charged. And of course, if it's part of the surgical package, you will probably get denied because there are essentially, for example, Medicare knows that, oh, this surgical pack package, there's a 90 a day post-op um, period. And so if they get a charge, that's not uh, outside of the package, they're gonna deny it. Um, so there are just rules about surgical um, package. And then um, we also um, saw about um, when the physicians use um, consult when it's really a subsequent hospital visit. So that's an education um, part too. 
And then here again, we talked about missing and conflicting diagnosis codes. Any questions? I don't have a question that came in, but I do have a comment. I think mm -hmm. you made allusion to, uh, you had gave an opinion that there should be a coder assigned to orthopedics. I, I would argue that in the ideal state, um, service lines, uh, clinical services should all have embedded uh, coders. Now there's a cost and we need to do the analysis of that. But I'll remind everyone in, in, in here is that there's over 10,000 CPT codes. This environment changes yearly. It is its own specialty. So I think an educational model module to a group of physicians once quarterly isn't gonna stick. Uh, and I think this is, this is a, uh, again, these are my opinions as a practicing clinician. Uh, real-time feedback is probably what would provide the greatest stickiness, you know? So if there was one assigned, for example, to the GI service, and they said, you know, Dr. Bouquet, yesterday you had three undercodes, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's real-time data, right? And why was I undercoded? But if I'm going to go attend a module in three months, I've given up three months of inaccurate coding, and, and my learning probably isn't sticky. So I think this is something for our organization to contemplate if accuracy of coding is, is, is of interest to us. Again, just my opinion after practicing for you know, the, uh, you know, almost 20 years, seeing this is very hard stuff for doctors to retain. And because the environment changes so quickly uh, and uh, nuances of a subsequent visit versus a new visit versus how, it, it, I guess it, if you're in the world, it sounds easy but uh, you're just trying to manage the clinical work. So just my opinions as a, as a clinician here. So Kim, you have your hand up. Yeah, I just wanted to tag team what Dr. Burkett just said. I know we're looking at some real time software that does it concurrently. So we never get a bill out the door without having some review to it. Uh, and it's and HIM has demoed it. I demoed it. It's uh, really an amazing um, package. We know some of the other uh, systems who use it, and it's not expensive, um, but it does give real time concurrent feedback. So maybe we can, uh, uh, or at least HIM is hopeful that we can roll it out across the organization. And if uh, the, the software also has those updates that Dr. Burkett was talking about. Uh, it doesn't replace, obviously, the compliance work that needs to be done on the back end, but I think it would really help with uh, provider education and make it much more concurrent and, and, and help. Um, I, I, I don't know, um, Akimi, if you have like targets, are we supposed to be at a certain percentage accuracy rate yeah. if we have anything like that? So the OIG recommends um, they will not set policy, but they recommend that um, the, you know, coding accuracy rate should be um, actually 95% because this is a, um, the actual words that they use is that the error rate should not be um, more than 5%. And so we use that as a guide um, that we want providers to read at least that if not 100%. And, you know, and some other organizations I have, you know, when you have like a physician champion that can actually um, 
uh, was it uh, support that because they know um, that physician practice. They are able, to, you know, within their team meetings, talk about the um, the documentation to support certain um, kind of codes. And then it's something that we can sit down and talk about the missing um, opportunities because when we talk through the type of services that are provided, sometimes it's not even documented. And so that's another area, um, you know, especially when I, the other organization, they did transplants and it's not, you know, there are so many parts to it and there's, um, there's a big team of different positions. And so it's, um, you know, there really had, um, what's a different physician um, kind of a compliance, um, what's it, um, support for that to ensure that when the documentation supports the coding and that there were not missing um, opportunities because that was really on their mind. Any other comments or questions? Okay. I have a quick question. What what software um, was it, um, Kim, that you were referring to? Uh, she was, uh, Kim was mentioning MD Audit. Okay, yes. Yeah, some, um, I've seen MD Audit because I've been in other organizations, so I do understand that. It's yes. pretty robust. It is. It is. Um, and so this is for outpatient orthopedics. And um, so again, you know, the documentation supports a lower <laughs> um, visit. And it's partly um, these in the um, outpatient actually, these were um, some of them are follow up, some of them were. Um, uh, I want to say it was not the initial. They might have had um, maybe something as far as um, small, um, what's it, um, support that was needing in that, you know, another organ um, healthcare organization said, work, you know, go to um, AHS. And so when we looked at the documentation, actually, um, it was one level lower than what uh, was in the documentation. But that's an educational point too. Because um, like I said, you know, it, it has to do with the quality of uh, documentation and it's really talking to physicians about the services that they provide because then we can match it up with the documentation. Um, because sometimes, you know, in other organizations that I've been in, Actually, the doc um, physicians don't always document everything, and you know I understand they're not going to have this ten page, but we can actually pinpoint uh, what needs to be in the documentation, and if you were going to actually um, put a charge into it, and really talking through the type of services procedures that they do, we can actually explain. Um, other codes or additional revenue based on the codes. And so that's um, an education point. Um, also, the one thing that the 
physicians actually um, billed for post-op visits during the 90-day global um, surgery package, which is not allowed. And so again, you should, you know, um, payers usually have some sort of mechanism that will deny um, any visits um, during the 90-day global surgery package. Now there are exceptions to that. Um, if there's something significantly uh, separate from that, um, that surgery the patient has that can be um, built separately. But that's an education that we need to provide to physicians. And then um, the other here, it happened a few times where they um, put signs and symptoms as a diagnosis when there was a definite, um, definitive diagnosis that was used. And so that's an education point. And then here we have also conflicting diagnosis and missing um, diagnosis. And again, like Dr. Bouquet said, you know, even with um, CPT codes, you have like thousands of different diagnosed codes. So it's not, you know, I would not expect always to have 100%, even as me, you know, I'm a certified coder, but I always have to go back and review you know, what, uh, what it says, uh, we do not use uh, actual uh, paper manual, we actually go online, but it's, um, you know, to have that expectation always by the physicians, uh, you know, it, it is very, um, it's not easy, which is why you hear, you see here, 87 and 91, it's pretty good for doing a first time, you know, review. And so with education, you know, the, the accuracy rate should improve. Um, is there any comment questions here? Okay. It's not that was good to see these in the high 80s and 90s. Yeah, okay. Uh, so now that we've finished that part, um, we have here a breach notification. And so this is um, has to do with unauthorized access to patient record. And you know, the term that I use is that the person was curious, snooped into the patient's record. So we did um, report this to um, CDPH, which is the state, and the OCR, which is Office of Civil Rights, which is the federal, and this is required. And so, you know, here it talks about the plan of correction that um, the patient is notified. We have to, as part of um, the regulations, that we have to notify the patient of the incident or what action was viewed, the uh, retraining of the staff member, but it's also the department retraining of all the staff in it as well. And then the disciplinary action taken, and this is something that um, HR uh, gets involved with. Any questions on this? And so FYI, this is why we put in the, we have a monthly newsletter and we've been putting in the newsletter, you know, like 
don't sue. <laughs> and so, and we don't put a lot in it. We just put like, for example, I think last time we put um, a dog who had binoculars and like, you know, don't sue in a patient's record. Uh, okay, so I wanted to go over this. And these are some of the projects, projects that we are working on. And so the information blocking and second phase and so it's reviewing um, what we, um, in like in my chart, what has to be, um, we have to allow the patients to view and then what we cannot. So there are uh, regulations uh, like substance abuse. Um, so there are certain um, types of uh, what we call uh, conditions that we uh, can block, but most everything has to be uh, open to the patients to view. Uh, so the next one is the Leadership Academy. So um, compliance has been uh, working with the OLA team on providing Leadership Academy. Um, so this is education to all the leaders which in AHS and it and it goes over um, privacy and then uh, compliance. When I talk about that, I mean like False Claims Act, conflict of interest, anti-kickback and so on. And then we also um, talk, talk, well, talk a little bit about the code of conduct because we have it on the internet and they need to go and to review it and we tell them where to find it. Also, this project and revenue cycle is heading this up, and it's about the advanced beneficiary notice. And so they've already been working on um, testing this out. It's in the EPIC function. And so, um, so we can actually do it system-wide. And so what this is, is that Medicare, um, uh, when a service is not covered, uh, we give this form called the ABN to the patient and inform them that the service may not be covered uh, through Medicare and that they have the option to say, I don't want to have the service, or if they do, we have to also indicate the approximate cost that would be since it's not a covered service. And so that's this project that um, it's been going on and Sherry Johnson has been really on top of it, making sure she's a VP of Revenue Cycle. So she's really um, been great at heading this up. And the other is behavioral health and compliance and billing review. So we have been working with um, the behavioral health side. And uh, when I talk about behavioral health, I'm talking about when a patient comes in and they're they are really have a, uh, a mental health problem. There is certain steps that need to happen. So we've been working with um, the behavioral health side on regarding the compliance billing um, for what is required. Um, and then the implementation that I would be manager. So this manager helps with some of the administrative processes um, so we are getting closer to implementing it, um, but then we need to train everyone. Um, and this is training, not just um, 
the um, primary investigators who are physicians, but also um, when it goes through the process, if it's a funded study, it needs to, um, uh, its contracting group needs to understand, uh, you know, the process because they're going to receive notification. They're going to have to tweak some parts to it. So um, that's kind of the main projects that we are working on. Any comments, questions? Okay, so we're getting close to the end. So this is um, what I call the compliance activity report. So we do track what we are doing on a monthly basis. So for the fourth quarter, it um, what we show is if you look at the small pie here, 92% um, of our time is to support AHS and the different functions that are going on. And then if you really want to see the bigger pie of where that is, um, this is what it shows. So, you know, if you see on this side here, um, the service here is regarding um, service requests or meetings. And we could have um, a group that wants to go over. Um, so it'll be like, you know, hour, 30 minutes to discuss, you know, about, uh, it could be something like um, terms and conditions on my chart or something like that. And then projects, any projects that we're working on. And then the clients here, you see that, that includes investigation, privacy, revenue cycle, IRB manager, and then, um, then audits. So these are, you know, audits and the compliance areas are biggest um, percent of where our time is spent. And then this is the last one. And even though this is called the compliance dashboard, really what it is is the, what comes in um, through our, what we call the compliance hotline. But the compliance hotline it's not just someone calling the hotline, but it's also um, uh, concerns or questions or things. It could come through Midas, could come through our compliance inbox. We have a general one, or someone might email us or they will talk to us. And so we put it on this, um, in that My House um, platform. And, um, and so this is the picture of what um, happened in the fourth quarter. And if I, I, you see this 218 pending resolution because a big part of it is HR. And so we are, um, you know, since the, we're back from the COVID, we actually um, doing these monthly reviews again with HR because when we work with HR, they're able to bring down that percent of how many open cases are there. And on the side here, it kind of generally talks about what um, those areas are. Um, any questions on this? Okay, so that's actually it on this. So I'm gonna stop um, sharing. So is there any uh, questions or something that people wanna know? That was so thorough. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So you oh, can. There's Jet. Hi, Jet. 
<laughs> Hello there. I'm sorry I'm late. I thought the I thought our meeting started at five and it said four when I when I logged on. So um, I was here just working away. So my apologies. Well, no problem. Um, if you anybody um, wants to um, uh, talk to us to understand what what was um, presented, please reach out to Marilyn or myself, and we'll be happy to you know talk with, um, more about um, what we're doing and what was in the presentation. So please don't hesitate. Uh, Kevin, uh, I recall from the prior board meeting we did not have a quorum. Uh, to approve the annual audit and compliance plan. Uh, the charter and the policies and procedures require this board, or this committee, I'm sorry, to approve the annual audit and compliance plan. Um, so well, I, I think- we bring that up again or? Yeah, yes, uh, you could do that. Uh, I, I think that was the first part of your presentation, right? Yeah, uh, there's a part of it. So just a second. Chair Friedman, if you uh, uh, if you would entertain a motion, if you'd like. Uh, yeah, yeah, please. Okay, one second. <laughs> the, uh, I don't think we need to put it back up unless the trustees would like. Yeah, yeah. Do so we have a motion to approve the uh, compliance Annual. plan? Annual audit and compliance plan. Wait, it's second. You have a second. All right, okay. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. And Trustee Splendorio has has left, uh, but the motion does pass. Okay, great. So I think that ought to do it for today, right? Thank you, everybody. For doing the heavy lifting, uh, Kimmy, we really appreciate it. And Marilyn, so good to have you on the team. And uh, we'll see you all at our November meeting. All right. Thank, Thank you, reports. Bye, everybody. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.